0: My name is Elliot Vavitzis, and today I'm speaking with Laura de Silva, the St. Andrews Economist Africa Section Editor, about the impact of the UK's red travel list on African economies. Laura, how are you today?
1: Hi, Elliot. I'm good. How are you?
0: Excellent. So uh, I guess before you know, you, I read your article, and there's a lot of intricacies about the UK's travel red travel list, especially on its impact on Africa, which I like you've brought up, is the majority of the countries on this list. Uh, but just to start off from the basics, like what, where did this come from? Why are, why are African, Af- African nations uh, in this red list travel relationship right now today with the UK?
1: Yeah, for sure. So um, if you kind of look back at the past two years of the travel restrictions affecting the UK, um, the UK has kind of been operating a traffic light system. Um, but in part of that is the red list, which is kind of a complete travel ban um, on travel from and into um, countries. And when you look at the countries that have been targeted by this red list, you can kind of see the pattern of African countries. Um, And so that's kind of why um, this article I've kind of chosen to explore just the effects of the UK's list on African countries.
0: Yeah. Uh, and and so what, what, like, so I understand, you know, one of the big countries that was put on there was South Africa, but yeah, also I think yeah. mostly sub-Saharan African nations.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely. So if you mm-hmm. kind of look at two periods of time, so like um, September 2021, you can see that 41% of the countries on the red list were actually sub-Saharan African countries. And that's kind of insane when you think about the fact that that's 44% of sub-Saharan African countries in total. Mm-hmm. Um, and even like earlier on in twenty twenty one in like April, um, around half of the countries on the red list were African. So you can kind of see that this is targeting African countries specifically.
0: Mm-hmm. And what's the what's the reasoning maybe behind that? Because uh, you, you know even even amongst you know outside of Africa, there's plenty of there's you know there must be a criteria behind this. Uh, would you want to speak to that?
1: Yeah, well that's kind of the thinking is that there would be a criteria, but. Um, that's kind of where the um, accusations of the red list occur, is that the UK government haven't really been very transparent in if there's a criteria and what the criteria is. Um, so there's been kind of a lot of reports that are guessing into factors that may be criteria, such as vaccination rates, death rates, um, how many cases per million are um, in these different countries. But there isn't actually a criteria that's been published by the UK government And in fact, there isn't much transparency in the decision process. So, whenever the lists get updated, there's not really any rationale being given as to what the criteria are. um, That is affecting countries being added to red lists quite rapidly.
0: Right. And so, from the UK side of things, this is this is a we need to protect our borders, stop the coronavirus, but. What's the what's the reciprocal side for Africa? How does this impact Africa? Outside the fact that people from Africa cannot travel to the UK,
1: yeah, I mean, so there's huge economic effects. I think probably the most direct effect is tourism, um, because African economies, for the large part, um, have uh, a large dependent on tourism, especially from the UK. Um, In fact, if you look at Botswana, I think it's around 15% of their GDP comes from tourism. So any kind of travel restrictions will have huge impacts on GDP just through tourism alone. Um, And then obviously there's the knock-on effects of that on employment um, throughout countries. And then of course there's trade implications. And also um, there's foreign direct investment implications because of the huge knock-on effects on GDP.
0: Mm -hmm. And how does, so foreign direct investment, for example, how does that, um, get get impacted by the red list because obviously, you know, there's very before the pandemic, you know, foreign direct, direct investment um, flows, you know, very simple, right? You know, a business person may travel to whatever nation they may want to invest in and so, so be it, they go about their business. But, you know, now in this era of online working and um, and just a more restricted, less globalized world, even though we're at the most globalized point mm-hmm. in hist- history, you know, would you say that uh, markets have been able to keep up with that, or is it is is the on the ground aspect of foreign direct investment being lowered in African countries by this red list? just is it is that is it just truly that?
1: Yeah, well, I'd say um kind of the almost like spontaneity of the travel restrictions and the like extremeness of the travel restrictions create huge uncertainty in African markets. So if you kind of look at how um, travel bans have been implemented by the UK, a lot of them are happening overnight, especially if you look at um, the Omicron saga at the end of November, all of those travel bans came into effect overnight. And that means that all of those effects on tourism and effects on GDP and joblessness happen overnight. Um, and so as investors trying to invest in um, these kinds of economies, there's huge uncertainty in those kind of returns of your investment um and also in terms of the length of of the travel bans because as we as we've seen um travel bans can be in effect for months on end um so yeah i'd say that's kind of the the biggest effect on on, uh, for our direct investment um yeah but i think also if you just look at african countries throughout the pandemic they've been having to deal with a lot of rolling lockdowns um and also uh having limited budget a lot of um kind of uh, government ex- expenditure has been redirected to healthcare, and so obviously that will have a lot of impact on industry um, throughout African economies, and may also deter foreign investment.
0: Mm-hmm. And is the UK's tra- red travel list is obviously, uh, you know, is is the most notable example. I guess for us here at the St. Andrews Economist because we're in the UK, yeah. but <laughs> around the around around the world, you know, the UK is not exclusively the cut. Co- only country to take actions like this. Would you say the UK has been influenced by other countries' actions, or is this red list in its in itself kind of a, a I guess a bad example of a gold standard for this kind of behavior?
1: Um, I would say um, the UK is actually quite influential in almost setting the narrative for travel restrictions. So, if you kind of look over the past two years, a lot of the time the UK has almost been the first to act. Um, and to place travel bans on countries and then you kind of see other European countries and North American countries kind of following their lead so I'd say in that respect the the, the UK's red list specifically is very influential in um, kind of dominating and setting global precedent of travel restrictions
0: mm-hmm. even for would you say countries like the United States and you know blocks like the EU or would you say maybe that's just you know in general in a global context
1: um i think it's kind of different it's always different to say which came first who mm-hmm. was thinking about it first because i think a lot of that kind of stuff might be happening on um behind the scenes but i think if you look at the most recent um occurrence of like global travel bans in again late november um around omicron um the uk kind of acted very hastily and they acted first Pretty much within hours of the scientific discovery of um omicron, mm-hmm. um and then kind of over that weekend we then saw Switzerland and Germany and the US kind of acting to institute pretty much the same restrictions that the UK had.
0: And for the UK, um outside of just protecting borders and you know stop the st- stops to stop the spread and don't overwhelm mm-hmm. the. NHS have the travel restrictions. I mean, they've devastated African economies, like you've brought to light. But have they even been effective for the UK?
1: Um, <laughs> my opinion is that they they haven't really, and I think that's kind of echoed by the WHO. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's always it's always difficult because if you had to if you have to look at how variants have spread a lot uh, across the world, a a lot of the spread is happening before we've picked it up. So. You have to remember that these travel restrictions, especially with the spread of new variants, like in the case of Omicron and Delta, are only happening once we've actually identified the variant, which obviously takes time. And so in the case of Omicron, it was identified by South African scientists and there was then the the hasty ban of travel from the whole of Southern Africa. But at that point, the variant was already in the US and already throughout Europe. So in that respect, the variant is already global and so, um, having these travel restrictions really doesn't do anything to stop the spread.
0: Would you say then <laughs> that the UK government is misinformed in their policy when it comes to the red list, or do you? Is it a is it a deeper underlying suspicion of you know the the abilities that African countries have to deal with the virus?
1: Yeah, I would say there definitely is some sort of bigger underlying issue, um, and some bias against African countries. I think we've kind of seen um, almost like a a mistrust and a paternalism towards um, the scientific community in Africa. And there is always this kind of um, misinformed uh, narrative that there is like some sort of level of incompetency in African countries, which is huge, hugely unfair, um, especially given the track record of African governments during COVID and the African scientific community during COVID. I mean, you have to remember that the Omicron variant was discovered by South African scientists. This is a scientific industry that is um, hugely developed. Um, And yeah, I mean, the first to actually pick up this variant and pick up a lot of variants. So, yeah, I do think there is some sort of underlying bias and maybe greater issue um, in the way that the Western countries and maybe wealthier countries view Africa and kind of mistrust African scientists. Mm
0: Well, that, that, that's that's interesting because like you say you know south africa is a great example too The developed scientific community and mm-hmm. you know there's and and you know especially back to the point of you know i guess this you know is go ties into you know globalization the real re, real the realization that you know maybe there should, whether it's wrong or right to have restrictions is because uh you know we are globalized people yeah. fly in and out but the scientific yeah. if the scientific community is just as globalized you don't it doesn't really matter whether the conclusion was happened in johannesburg or in london Mm -hmm. um and in the holistic context of pandemic restrictions where do you think this whole travel the saga of travel restrictions and relations with the rest of the world fits in
1: yeah i mean i was kind of thinking that um throughout the pandemic we kind of have seen uh, a trend especially with um restrictions and travel restrictions, especially of maybe individualism in terms of countries acting for themselves um, and maybe not considering the the knock on effects this has for other countries around the world. So especially if you look at um, vaccine inequality that has become quite apparent um, and vaccine hoarding, you can kind of see that there is almost like a selfishness um, throughout the pandemic. and i think that is perpetuated through travel restrictions the kind of hasty implementation of these restrictions to try and protect um your population but without really considering the huge expense this has for other countries and for other people um on the other side of the world
0: Mm -hmm. that's 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 true true as well uh i want to go back to the uh point about foreign direct investment just because i was I was I was thinking about that before we sat down uh, the other thing about you know foreign direct direct investment would you say that uh, this is just this tra- these travel restrictions are they a risk it's like like you know in general economics we could say you know your interest rates are a thermometer yeah. of, <laughs> of, of risk right uh, you know, but you know the economy we know works in a way that you know it's more than just you know numbers it's a, it's a humanity for a reason yeah um, would would you would you say that you know these restrictions also you know add you know a certain element of risk to investing in africa and you know deter people from a place that you know there could be much much more to be had if it was not for this these restrictions
1: yeah i think that's a really good point um yeah i mean the restrictions themselves like i said before do create a lot of uncertainty but you're right that they kind of almost perpetuate some sort of level of scepticism around the performance of, of African countries. I mean, if the justification or supposed justification for um, these restrictions is that um, African countries are are risky or that the pandemic can't be contained in these countries and so we kind of have to guard ourselves or mm-hmm. from them, then surely that's going to deter investors because that kind of just perpetuates this narrative that um, these countries are risky and that they aren't handling the pandemic well um that covid is maybe affecting the economy disproportionately um and so maybe it's safer to invest elsewhere like in the us or in japanese currency for example Mm.
0: and long term um long term you know i think you mentioned in your article about how you know, you know, viruses can kill, uh, but you know, the greatest killer is poverty, yeah, right? Yeah, How long, the long-term op- outlook for South Africa and any African, sub-Saharan African nation that, you know, made it onto this red list at one point or another. What's, is that going to be the real, like, do you think poverty uh, will be the, uh, the real legacy of the red list rather than say protecting those in their homes yeah. here in the UK?
1: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, I think if you look at the kind of, gains that have happened before COVID in African economies towards economic growth, um, and then you kind of see the devastation that's happened as a result of COVID and how all of those gains have kind of been rolled back, um, it is it is very apparent that we're in for a few years of kind of of, of really tough um, fiscal policy, perhaps. Um, but I think also with the, the travel restrictions, direct impact on employment, I mean, South Africa is now facing record number of joblessness approaching 35% which is just unbelievable and as you say like that is a huge concern for for poverty because I mean especially in Africa and in sub-Saharan Africa joblessness translates to people not being able to feed themselves because there just isn't the social security net that there is in in western countries Um, and so when there is 35% unemployment um, that's a lot of jobs that you have to try and create in, a, in an economy coming out of a global pandemic mm-hmm. that's already had to do, um, divert so much government re- revenue to, to healthcare. Um, yeah, and I mean, especially if you look at the, the struggling vaccination rates because of um, a low vaccination supply, that's, that's just gonna mean that Africa is probably gonna be enduring a pandemic long um, a lot longer than the rest of the world that are mostly vaccinated. So I think that's definitely gonna um continue the uh, an African struggle for for um to create employment and to kind of lift more people out of poverty.
0: And that's actually an interesting point because uh to think to think about that, it's almost like this red list maybe has created a you know a secondary pa- pandemic all mm-hmm. of its own. What would you say to that?
1: Yeah, I mean that 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 is a a really interesting way to phrase it because yeah, as much as vaccines have kind of pushed. Um, Africa behind maybe a few months to a year um, behind the, the rest of the world in terms of coming out of the pandemic, I think the red list has done exactly the same thing to those economies. Um, because already they're they're struggling to come out of lockdowns um, and having to struggle with all, all of those implications on joblessness. But now when um, the red list and with travel restrictions, that's a whole nother sector of the economy that's now been struggling. So it does mean that that a lot more has to be done in Africa um, compared to the rest of the world to boost employment and to to boost GDP.
0: Yeah. And also, uh, what would you say that this red list impact perhaps is on, I guess, you know, you said, like you said, 44 percent of the red list countries were sub-Saharan African. Yeah. Uh, Yes, it's going to put it like we can definitely see that it'll push, you know, push, push poverty to an even more extreme perhaps, but do you think there's any any sort of, you know, I guess a rerouting of the economic roadmap that may happen because of this significant change and, you know, the investment flows and travel with Europe and Africa?
1: Yeah, that, that is quite interesting. I mean, um, I think there is, at the moment, there's a huge reliance, especially on UK travel um, within the tourism industry, especially in um, Southern Africa. So I'm thinking probably there's going to have to be some sort of um, rerouting as you say, of of that sector to kind of be able to survive um, these travel restrictions and all the devastation that's caused. Um, yeah, and I mean it's it is really hard. I think when you have um, countries that are so dependent on on these sectors that are affected by the red list to to reroute because that is a huge amount of of GDP and jobs that depend on those sectors, um, and it's not an easy thing to kind of redirect those things in a matter of months.
0: Mm-hmm. And also for perhaps African regional trade, do you think this will you know, perhaps push African economies to become more reliant on each other rather than reliant yeah. on, say, Europe, United States or China?
1: Yeah, for sure. I think already there's kind of um, a trend of African countries working together. I know a lot of um, governments have emphasized um, a togetherness between African countries and moving towards... Um, working as as a united africa and i think the pandemic and almost like the isolation that africa has had in terms of vaccine hoarding and red listing i think that's only going to move those plans forward and and maybe um get african countries uh to collaborate and to work together more
0: mm-hmm. well laura thank you so much for coming on the bulletin today uh this is a really interesting discussion certainly it's you know it's just one list of countries but mm-hmm. it, as you've explained uh to myself and our listeners today that it goes further than that and from anywhere everywhere to economics to just morals so uh anyway to our listeners thank you for listening to this episode today and we'll have another episode for you next week on the bulletin